So today on the Women in Tech series, we welcome Janelle Rainey, who's had an illustrious career in organizations like Citrix, Zoom, and now at Pathfinder, where she is the chief marketing officer. She's worked across many functions in product marketing, uh, analytics, marketing strategy, positioning, launching, PR, and such. Uh, she has a degree in mathematics, and an MBA from NYU. So without further ado, welcome to today's show, Janelle. Hey, Ross. Thanks for having me on today. It's Cut our pleasure. Well, well, that's great. And we welcome that. So tell us about your career. We're focused in on women in tech at the moment in our current series. We're excited to get to know a bit about you and Path, Pathlight and what it is you guys do there. Um, but before we do that, maybe just take us through your career thus far to date. As we often say, you probably didn't wake up at the age of 15 or 16 and say, hey, I want to be a CMO. But what led you to where you are today, if you could share with our audience? Yeah, I think when I was 15 or 16, I, I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> so things, things have uh, shifted quite a bit. Um, I went to Vanderbilt uh, as a biomedical engineer and after about one year of that and doing computer science and all the engineering classes, I switched to arts and science and became a math major. After graduating from Vanderbilt, I went to New York and worked for Liz Claiborne, uh, which was in the fashion industry and a great opportunity there. They had what they called a management and training program. So you were 18 months in the company and you rotated throughout different departments. And that's really where I fell in love with marketing. Um, I love the data part of it, um, the creativity as well. And while I was there, I went to NYU um, and got a degree in marketing and finance. Most people out of NYU end up on Wall Street, uh, but I didn't really see the appeal of that other than the money, of course. Uh, so I took a year off and I traveled and I kind of really thought about what do I want to do next? and decided to move to San Francisco and to get into the tech industry. So I worked for a company uh, called QRS where I had helped implement their system while I was at Liz Claiborne. So it was very much kind of their customer insights person on the product management team and product marketing was kind of rolled into one at that point. Um, and you just had really great mentors there and went on to be director of product management and product marketing at a company called NetOptics. Then from there, I at that point, I got married and had kids, and I started my own firm. I had a design and marketing strategy firm for about 10 years, um, which was great. It allowed a lot of flexibility when my kids were young. And from there, I went to Citrix, uh, where I was in product marketing um, and ended out really kind of owning a portfolio of products there, including ShareFile, go to my PC, go to Assist, write signature. Um, which was fantastic, but it also required a ton of travel. Uh, I was going to Raleigh and to Santa Barbara, and at that point we were living up in Sonoma. Mm -hmm. uh, and Zoom came knocking on the door, and it was a little company nobody had really heard of at the time. Uh, but what a great opportunity um, that ended up becoming, and just a fabulous team. And to be a part of that is is pretty special. Um, but when I left after I'd been there about six years, it was a very different company. It was you know, I joined, it was about 100 people. When I left, it was about 5,000. I think they're over 6,000 now. So just wow. incredible growth in a short period of time. 
Um, but I really do love the startup. I love the figuring out product market fit, the, the energy everybody has of, as a team and just diving in and helping. And that's really what brought me to Pathlight was just a great set of people, really great technology and a big problem that they were solving. Okay. Okay. I love that. I think I think I may have said Pathfinder at the beginning in the intro. You'll have to me. That's because I have the Mars rover on my brain. I'm a massive Elon Musk nerd, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of one of those followers who believes we can get to Mars at some point. So forgive me in any case. But um, just to rewind a small bit back to uh, one of the inflection points, and I know we spoke about this offline in the past, about going to Wall Street versus going to San Francisco and the tech industry, why did you make that decision in the context of where you are now? And, and how do you look back upon that decision and, and the, some of those kind of criteria around that decision, as it were? Yeah, I mean, Wall Street is, well, particularly in the 90s. I mean, we I don't know how many of you read the, the book, The Boom Boom Room, right? Um, that was pretty realistic, right? It was very much a boys club. Um, I just kind of knew you have to be fighting that all the time. And um, you know, as much as I'm smart and I work hard, like I don't, it was just hard to say what what would really shine and where could you break through. In tech, what I think what really drew me to it, and what I still think makes this just a fabulous career for anybody, but for women as well, is just that opportunity to be creative, to build a company, to have that innovation and um, a challenging career in a competitive place, and you know, also somewhere where you can also build a lot of wealth. So you can build wealth on Wall Street or you can build it in creating companies and technology as well. So I saw that as a great opportunity, but I, I love the innovation and the creativity that I saw over in tech. I would say on this coast almost, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Well, to go from 100 folks to, to over 5,000 is you know, considerable to say the very, very least. Um, what was it do you feel, um, you know, Citrix very much an established company, kind of more in, in the mature uh, phase of their evolution, as it were, going to a startup, as you mentioned, you love the, the, the culture at Zoom. What was it they got right in terms of their cultural approach, diversity, um, their kind of holistic awareness of thinking, etc.? What do you feel, in fact, they're very platform we're using right now as we speak? Um, so it's kind of in every part of our lives, and, and it's actually now achieved what I would say is verbiage, as in uh, what Google achieved when you need to look something up and you have a, a conundrum between your friends or a debate, as it were. What do you think they got right from a kind of a cultural set setup perspective from the get-go over at Zoom? Yeah, I, I mean, I very much remember being, you know, at, at the table and in the conference room when we were actually establishing what are the values of the company? Um, you know, a lot of us brought past experiences. A lot of us Googled what do other companies do, right? Uh, but it was honestly, it came from Eric, who's the CEO. Um, and he said, it's care. And, you know, that's caring about yourself, your community, and your teammates. And I think ultimately, I mean, he kind of gets things down to very simple. If you hear him talk, he talks a lot about happiness. And and love is really, you know, the ultimate goal in life. Um, but really, it just, if you come back to that, that really is like your principles, right? If you're just a good person, you really care. And believe me, he he led that from the top. He cared passionately about his product and the customers and the experience. And, you know, I'll never forget, this was years, years, years back. Um, we had an outage. I think it lasted like 45 minutes, but it was like nine in the morning, the worst point, like everybody's starting their meetings, right? Um, 
And he took that so personally. He moved from his corner office to a cube on the engineering floor and he stayed there. I mean, it was months. He was there to make sure that never happened again. I think like that type of leadership that you're seeing just from the top, um, and you're kind of very much that service leadership, right? Of you even saw him do that at Zingtopia. He was out serving coffee uh, to people who were arriving to the, to the show and just showing that appreciation for people. Um, and, and you know, I, I think you saw that throughout all the leadership, mainly because of his example. Perfect example of servant leadership in my mind, you know, to enable folks to be successful and show that you're one of those guys who pick up the brush and sweep the factory floor, so to speak. Um, that's incredible. And that that's a model for everybody and, and certainly one I believe in myself. Um, maybe just from your own perspective, if you could share, like, what has changed do you feel um, in the, I'll just give you a bit of perspective in uh, in our part of the world in terms of attitude towards women, right? So, and how they have transformed organizations for the better. I'm a massive proponent of enabling women to be successful and removing barriers, et cetera. I mean, for example, here in Europe, there were um, plenty of situations where if you worked for the civil service and you were a woman and you got married, you instantly lost your job. I mean, that is unthinkable today, but that was the reality of what happened back then. Um, and I'm talking, 40, 50 years ago, that that was realistic. That was that was the day to day. What do you feel has changed and where are we now from your own perspective and what you've seen over your career, if you could share? Yeah, I mean, I think things have changed a lot. I mean, first of all, you're seeing more women graduate from college than men at this point, um, but it still hasn't leveled the playing field when you look at corporations. And, you know, this is across the board, but in tech, you know, you're doing women in tech, so I'll kind of focus on that. Um, you know, I think it first and foremost, it starts with equal pay and we're not quite there yet. I think there's still a 10% difference on salaries. And I don't know if anybody's done a study on equity, of uh, what the difference would be. Um, so I, th I think you're certainly seeing pay as a part of that, but it's also, you know, the opportunities in that men are still about 70% of the work tech workforce. You know, somewhere between 60 to 70, and I think it depends on the companies. But I think if you dig down a little deeper, if you looked at departments, I bet it sways a lot more on engineering to men. Sales is probably a little bit more men, but a little bit more, you know, more equal than, than engineering. You know, when you're going to find a lot of the women in the marketing and HR department and roles in that. So I think there's the equality in that. But as far as like policies, I think there's certainly, you know, the striving towards equal pay. I think it's super important. I personally don't know that I'm a big believer in quotas. I believe in having diversity um, and having a diverse team and diversity of thought. And I think there's been so many studies and research of just showing how much better companies perform when they have that diversity. I do think you, when you're interviewing people, you should make sure you have a diverse panel. But in the end, you should be hiring the best person for the role, um, regardless of their color or their sex. Um, and that's you know, just my own personal belief, but I do know some quotas have helped along the way as, as well. So, um, you know, quotas I think are an interesting thing to think about. Um, the other thing that I, I see recently that I think actually does level the playing field a lot in the US is paternity leave. I know in Europe, it's been a little bit more, family leave has been more generous, but in the US, you know, it was, you know, women finally got four months, then maybe six months, depending on which company or state you live in. And now men are taking that as well. 
And so when you're going to hire somebody in their 20s or 30s and they're getting married and having kids, it's you're no longer really discriminating against the women because the men are going to take the lead as well. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting uh, take on actually how do you improve that equality of opportunities. I'm very mindful, um, Janelle, of the sequence um, that you discussed here um, with respect to the kind of DEI agenda. And you actually started with equity and um, we're um, on the Global Tech Leaders podcast here. And I know myself and Ross absolutely agree that uh, in that sequence, the sequence is really important, is that you really need to elevate uh, equity within organizations. So when you're discussing diversity initiatives in the workplace or in other organizations, many people reference the term DEI, right? You, you know that term, right? Um, yes, of course. And obviously it stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, but we we recognize this terminology, but we, we kind of prefer to shift the order, much, much in line with um, kind of what you just explained there. And, and, and it's kind of really EDI, right? So we place equity before diversity and inclusion for a reason. And... That reason is, I mean, I mean, you can use the terms interchangeably, but the way I see it is, is if I may share, um, is that without equity, you know, any efforts to promote diversity and inclusion are laudable, but they're they're not sustainable. What 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 would you um, what would you think about that? Would you agree, disagree? I mean, yeah, I certainly agree with that. Um... You know, if you're going to come in and do the same job, you want to be treated equally um, in that. But um, you know, some of that's just going to take time <laughs> to build. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't say, oh, walk away from that. Like, come and improve yourself, right? Um, you know, hopefully you are aware of your circumstances. There's so many salary surveys out there. You should know what what you're worth, what your, your value is in the market. Um, and you're making sure that you're insisting on getting that for sure. Yeah, because it's really about revealing relevant opportunities in, in terms of that discovery piece within organizations. I mean, I, I've spoken to a lot, to a lot of um, women leaders in tech recently, as, as you can well imagine, uh, based on this series. And, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes is, is, is not setting an agenda at all um, for, for, for equity or diversity or inclusion. Or, or, or duplicating diversity initiatives that seemed effective in other organizations, you know? And I, I think it's really, it, it involves, I think, gaining an awareness level of the types of diversity within and across groups within your own organization and kind of how that plays out for individuals and, and, and teams and, and the organization as a whole, you know? And, you know, for me, um, I think it's really about providing people with fair and kind of contextually appropriate opportunities and resources that, you know, are required to, to attain their full potential. So, like, what can we do as, as like, leaders, right, in, in, in organizations? Um, what, what can we do to, to kind of progress or promote the, the, the kind of um, equity, diversity, and inclusion agenda, do you think? Yeah, I mean, when company I look at who I just think has been stellar and really a leader in this is Salesforce. Um, okay. You know, they came out in 2015 and said, hey, we have to have equal pay. And they continue to evaluate that every single year, particularly because they do acquisitions. And they still 
have to invest quite a bit to bring women or people of color or diversity um, you know, up up to the level uh, that they need to be for their roles. But they also brought forward a, another interesting policy is that meetings must be have 30 to 50% women. And why is that important? Well, one, you're gonna get diversity of thought. But another thing is when there's one woman in the room, probably not me, cause I'm a little outspoken and loud, but they <laughs> they can get quiet. <laughs> they can, um, <laughs> You know, it's uh, they can be intimidated or they may be spoken over. Somebody else may repeat what they just said. Right. So when you have a, a fellow woman in the room, uh, a champion with you, a lot of times, it can, you know, it's just that quick pause of saying, hey, what, Susan, what do you think? Or, you know, just reiterating what Susan said. Right. Um, and kind of being each other's having each other's back, essentially, in that meeting um, and just making that a little bit more of a comfortable environment for everybody. That's really cool. So, so let's stay on that for a minute. And again, like I said, you know, from, from my conversations uh, with with um, uh, a lot of women recently, right, in leadership positions, they they told me that well, a lot of them told me that that um, they they love working with other women in a team. Now, I'm not saying that you know men are crap to work with or anything like that, <laughs> but kind of. Why do you think that is? Like, do you, you, you like working with other women? Um, kind of, why do you think that is? Some of them have told me that, you know, they're, they're more decisive, you know, kind of all of these elements. Do you, would you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, 100%. I, love, I mean, yeah, I love working with, with guys too, but um, working with women is, it's, I don't know, it's fun. You have a great rapport, but um, I'll tell you what, who I absolutely think are the best are working moms. Those people, I mean, they can multitask like nobody's business. They can prioritize. They, like you said, they're decisive. They get things done. They're juggling so many things in their life. Um, but they're also just super dependable. They communicate if things are running late or if, you know, what help they might be, might need. Um, but I'll tell you what, 99% of the time they're going to get done. They're getting out of time and they're, it's, 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 it's really great quality work. Um, yeah, I enjoy working with women. Me too. And I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering how come there's such a low percentage of women in tech? I mean, that, that like with all of the innovation in, 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 in technology, all of the new products and ideas coming out, um, you know, the technology industry doesn't seem to be anywhere near cracking gender equality. So what's all that about? <laughs> I mean, how come there's such a low percentage of women in tech? What's, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, if you look at, if you go by department, like marketing or HR, even sales, you're going to, you're going to find you know, more equality sales. Sometimes you still get kind of old boys club. Um, some women get frustrated or, you know, you really need to find the company that does have women in leadership um, there. You, you know, I think that really kind of shows where's that executive team. Um, you know, I also, if I'm looking at companies, I look at who's on the executive staff. I look on who's in the board. I look who's invested in the company. You know, a lot of times I can tell you, like, what's that culture going to be like coming into that? Um, but, you know, I think looking at... Well, especially, sorry, Jeanette, especially in leadership. Tech on you know, where do they fall behind? I think if you do go back to the colleges, yes, we've made great strides in STEM, but it's a higher proportion going into biological science. And if you look at actually like electrical engineering and computer science, and that it's not, that's still not equal. That is still predominantly men. Um, so I think it is kind of that skill set coming out 
And then, you know, really there's, they are tech companies, but you know, if you looked at like Pinterest or Etsy or, you know, you're going to find more women engineers there than you will at maybe Oracle. Yeah. There's, there's about 14% of all CTO positions in tech companies belong to women. However, according to PwC, right, only 5% of leadership. So specifically leadership positions in, in, in the UK's technology sector are held by women. So that's not great when, when you consider roughly 25% of the UK's tech workforce is made up of women. But only 5% of the leadership positions um, are held uh, by women, which, which, is, which is very strange. And like inspiring young women everywhere to consider careers in, in STEM fields is, is fantastic. But like my experience from, from speaking to um, a, a lot of women leaders is that even for seasoned women executives, acquiring those technical skills doesn't seem to be enough. For, for them to succeed, for example, as a CMO or a CTO or whatever, right? Um, let's just say a CTO. Um, and it, it really seems to me that, you know, female engineers still have to deal with a lot of unconscious bias, probably in the form of additional steps, right? Required to get a proposal or a project or an idea approved by somebody, for example. What do you think? I mean, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think they do run into, and I think it's part of, you know, they get into the meetings, they get into the standups, and um, maybe they're not heard as well. But um, I've certainly worked with some very strong, smart women engineers or on the product team. Um, our head of product at Pathlight is a woman. The first product manager at Zoom was a woman. Um, the... We have a head of mobile engineering here who's a woman um, at, at Zoom. There was a head of um, all of the quality control was a woman and processes and very, very strong, smart people. Um, but I would also say they're younger in their careers, too. They're all in their 30s, right? So right. I would certainly hope that in the next 10 or 15 years, is that all, you know, that they kind of grow in their career, that those opportunities are open to them. Um, and maybe, maybe that's just a matter of time, right? Um, it's your C, C levels are typically what, you know, 45, 50 year olds typically in tech, they're a little bit younger perhaps, um, but you know, you're kind of seeing them at that VP level. You're seeing them right below the C-suite. So I, I think it is just a matter of time. Yeah, like what, what advice would you have for, for um, any aspiring um, um, women in technology that want to get into specifically leadership positions, you know? So let's just say, you know, they are kind of, uh, you know, an executive uh, maybe. Well, let's say your domain, right? They're an executive in demand gen or, you know, but they do want to become a manager. They want to make that step up. What advice would, would you have for those, for those folks? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's advice I'd have for anybody. It's really about personal branding, right? How are you showing up every day? What relationships are you building and the networks that you're building? Um, making sure that, you know, I think, I think women have a hard time with this, but, you know, something I've been coached and taught throughout my career is, you know, kind of toot your own horn and don't just report the news. You need to bring your your thoughts to that what makes it what all of your experience all of what makes you unique like what makes you read that news and interpret it differently um it's really about how do you make a difference um 
And, you know, and it's when you have successes, making sure you're getting credit for that. I fully agree with that. I, I think that's yeah. an important point. I mean, Cheryl Sandberg talks about this and lean in about uh, women needing to rate themselves and back themselves. And she talks about her brother doing an exam and he said, I, I nailed it. And she was like, she knows she's smarter than him and did better, but she thought it was hard. And it's all about that kind of mindset shift. And I'm kind of curious from my own perspective, like if you look back historically, you know, you may argue that men were successful because women were in, in the home looking after the kids and taking that load away. As we shift into much more of an egalitarian society, which we all welcome, how important is it for men to be that coach in the background as well and to take on that um, role in an equal capacity? And I think what you mentioned there uh, was very, very enlightening around uh, working moms because they're super organized, right? I, I've definitely had that experience. It's a military operation, but I think husbands <laughs> need to be on point, right? Or partners or whatever your, the situation may be at home. What's your kind of opinion and experience around that, around a shift in thinking and kind of ultra levels of communicating is kind of my view on it. What's your take? Yeah, I've been a person very fortunate. My husband, he's he loves to cook. So he, he is the chef at the house. Um, but, you know, I would say we we very much divide and conquer on just about everything. And, you know, he has his career as well. And we don't have family that near, lives nearby. And we've raised two boys, right? It's um, kind of finding finding that balance at the house, but, you know, in the workplace, absolutely. I, you know, I, I think about all the strong women that I've worked with and worked for, but also the men as well, who really um, helped, you know, support me. And, um, you know, and you see it with other women as well. They're, they're really um, open and have, give you more opportunities, right? Yep. Yeah, I know exactly what you're coming where you're coming from there. Um, I have a couple more questions. One that's kind of striking me um, that you have over your profile is skills around dyslexic thinking. Tell us a bit about what that means to you. <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting that you you picked that up. So yeah, Richard Branson uh, did that um, from Virgin. You know, I think he's he's been a big advocate of that being dyslexic himself and. I just recently put that up and it's funny because I, I was chatting with a, a man in our in our company and he has two daughters and one of them is dyslexic and he just said wow you know it would mean a lot if you started talking about that as well of you know you're a woman and you're dyslexic but I think what that I mean yes it takes me longer to read things but um and I'm a very visual person it drives me nuts when people just think I can understand them over over the phone um but uh and I do I understand people over the phone but I'm just saying um yeah, yeah the way the way you think is different and I think that's true of everybody I have a son who has ADHD and I mean off the charts brilliant but and super creative but probably won't sit in an office right um so I think really understanding people's strengths and their creativity and their different approaches to um how, how they come about with ideas Love it. And I think that's a yeah. great segue into what you guys are doing over at Pathlight, which is really around performance analysis and using AI and data effectively um, answering the question of how am I doing and how can I improve um, from an employee and a team's performance perspective. So just share with us what you guys are doing over at Pathlight and why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, that's really the crux of it is, you know, how am I doing? Um, and I think particularly in this hybrid world, that's 
something that a lot of us struggle with. Like, what does my manager think of me? I maybe have a half hour one-on-one a week with them. Um, so Pathlight is really leveling that playing field and empowering frontline employees, particularly in customer support or sales. Um, you know, those very, those roles that just have a lot of activity based. And what we do is we pull in the data across different systems and give you a very simple dashboard and even one score, we call it a health score. And it just says, how are you doing? And then with natural language processing, and there's coaching in that. This is, hey, you know, maybe you could be doing more phone calls today or your chats are falling behind or your CSAT score is falling behind and watch this. And we've really built this out to be a total performance intelligence platform. So we have quality management in there as well. And we're just launching workforce optimization. Um, so this works across all levels of the organization. I think that's really what differentiates us from some of the BI tools out there. Um, that you know, your frontline employee can open up their phone in the morning and see how they're doing. And if you think about, I love the book, Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read that. But oh, I certainly have twice, actually. And I have the audio book. <laughs> love it. There you go. It's all the little things you do every single day that lead to success, right? You can say, oh, I want to close this much money by the end of the quarter. But guess what? You better be starting at the beginning of the quarter with your pipeline and your, your deals and your first meetings and and even, you know, maybe even Salesforce hygiene, looking at that. And so that's really what this is about, is not really looking at like your year-long OKRs. This is really KPIs almost on a daily basis of what do I need to do to be successful? Love it. Love it. Well, look, I really want to thank you for sharing your insights with our audience and us today. It's been very helpful to learn about your journey and what you're doing. I think you set a great example for others looking to replicate that. So we very much enjoyed the conversation, as I hope you have, and we'd welcome you again on the show in the future. Fantastic. Thank you, John. Thank you, Ross. Thank you so much, Janelle. Yeah, wonderful, uh, wonderful to, to spend some time with you. And as uh, echoing what Ross has said there, we'd, uh, we'd love to catch up with you again uh, at some stage later on in the year to see how you're doing. Sounds fantastic. I'd love that. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.